chapter 11, verse 39 through chapter 12, verse 3. And all these, though commanded through their faith, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had pro provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word of the Lord. As we're coming to the end, uh, the last few weeks of our study in the book of Hebrews, we're into familiar territory. Last week, Michelle Cunningham did a beautiful job doing a dramatic presentation of Hebrews 11 and the beginning of 12. If you didn't hear that, I, I really thought it was just powerful to hear the word spoken in such a personal way. I would encourage you to go back. It's on our Facebook page. You can watch it. And I think the word really does speak for itself uh, in this passage. Last week, we, we sort of explored a little bit about what faith is and what faith isn't. And this morning, this is sort of part two of, of so, so what? How do we live this out? How do we walk this out? What are some of the things in, if we are people of faith, if we are Christians, we have to be people of faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we think, well, what does that look like? Well, the second half of that verse gives us a little taste of that. What does it look like? Without faith, it's impossible to please God for he must believe, he or she must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, just question. Do you believe God exists? God is defined by the Bible, not just some amorphous God out there, but the God of the Bible. Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he'll reward you if you diligently seek him? Before you say yay or nay on that, let me just ask you, what would your life look like if you didn't believe that? Would it look any different? If you don't believe that there's a God, just, just imagine you don't really believe there's a God out there. Would your life look any different? The Bible says, if it doesn't, something is really wrong with us. And this is what I want to just talk about a little bit in some of the excuses we give, some of the things that we look at as people who are supposed to walk in faith. And the question is, do we? I'm not going to make any, uh, you know, each of us have to look at ourselves, not look at others or whatever. But a couple things I want to ask you. When I, when I think of this list, I think of uh, liars, deceivers, abusers, murderers, grumblers, doubters, adulterers, prostitutes, drunkards. This is the list of Hebrews 11. So the first thing I want to say is, if you feel like, well, I, I have some sin in my life that is, you know, I can't, I can't be a person of faith with that, just look at the people who are enshrined in this hall of fame. They're not that great, really. 
and neither are we in and of ourselves. So let's not sort of make excuses of that. I hope no one's doing that. But these people are quite fallible. They're quite human. What did they do? Listen, they built a boat. They moved their family. They had normal marital relations with their spouse. Ever considered an act of faith? Offering a child to God. They got pregnant. They defied authority. They chose mistreatment over pleasure. Can I tell you, all these things can be done. You can build a boat with no faith. You can. Uh, probably boat building stuff. You, know, you don't have to do that. You can do all these things without faith. But that God, when we do the things that God has called us to do, when we do them, believing that he exists and believing there are no accidents, all of a sudden something different happens. God infuses obedient action with life that isn't there without it. It's a mystery. I don't know how this happens, but when we look at, sometimes we want to look at uh, Hebrews 11 and, and say, wow, it's just amazing what they did. Most of it is not that amazing in and of itself, and yet God changed the world through these acts of faith. The results of faith. Very interesting to me, the results of faith. From a human perspective, they're mighty mixed in Hebrews 11. Jericho's walls fall, Red Seas parted, people raised from the dead. Awesome. Get that. A promise given to have a miraculous child in old age is delayed for 25 years. It's a promise fulfilled, but certainly not in the time frame that Abraham and Sarah had, was it? By their actions in the 25 years, we know it wasn't. They, 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 they had a hard time believing that God was still going to come through. And some of us are in that period between the promise and the fulfillment. That's an act of faith, to walk in it when you don't see it. Here are the, some of the results of the acts of faith. That it's difficult to even read about and see. Mocking. Flogging, being imprisoned in chains, being stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, wandering about in caves, the results of acts of faith. Hmm? That doesn't fit my theology. I'll take list A, thank you very much. List B, faith. The results of faith aren't necessarily what we would always assume them to be. Did it make it any less faith-filled? Absolutely not. All these were commended through their faith. Many did not receive what was promised, and none of them before Jesus received completely what was promised because in us, in what we are seeing now, they longed to see. All right, so where does that leave us? Let me offer you two thoughts, and this is a little random wandering, but let me, I, I've read this passage now so many times in the last few weeks, and, and here are some things that I don't think get the play that you'll hear in faith that maybe the results of faith that we 
that the Bible teaches that maybe you don't hear about very often. Here are two results of faith that seem to be common throughout the Bible, especially pointed here in Hebrews 11, and I'll, I'll bring it, uh, I'll summate it in verses 13 through 16. And the first one is this, true faith seems to lead to a certain alienation in, in and from this world. If you are perfectly comfortable in this world, and you're very happy here, something you may want to look at your faith. Look at with me at Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith, this is talking about Abraham, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Strangers and exiles. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, talking about Egypt, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, as he has prepared for them a city. My second sense is this, true faith. So the first one is it leads to a certain alienation. My second sense is this, true faith will lead you to be different. You will stand out. You know, one of the things that we, I struggled with, uh, maybe, maybe a lot of people do in high school and in college, is I, I, just, I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to be that person. I became a Christian at 17, and uh, I desperately wanted to fit in up to that point. And uh, the, when I really became a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home, but, but really hadn't believed for myself. It just hadn't happened. And I became different. I, I won't say I became strange. I mean, I probably was all, all, we all everybody's strange at that age, but I, <laughs> I became different. And people noticed the difference. And um, it was quite uncomfortable at first. And yet, for us, we have got to be willing to be different. That doesn't mean we're obnoxious. Christians are sometimes accused. It doesn't mean that. It just means we're going to be peculiar and different. It means we're willing to be misunderstood. Abraham is the one who is, in, in Hebrews 11, is, is spoken of most about faith. And I want to offer you one thing that I, I hadn't really seen before in the Scripture. And I, we talk about, and this is amazing, that he was willing to move his family and leave home where he didn't know where he was going, and that is faith, that he was willing to start. And I think, in my mind, that's kind of a sense for those of you who have really never begun your faith journey, that it's something intellectually you wrestle with. Is there a God? Is this Jesus true? You can play your whole life the intellectual games of where's the evidence for it, where's the not. You'll never begin the journey. The journey is leaving home. The journey is saying, I don't know for sure. Every doubt isn't solved before faith. You will have doubts as you begin your faith journey. I've never met anyone who's, who's gotten all their doubts. Because if it didn't take faith, why start? If there was no doubt, it wouldn't be faith. It would be sight. So you, he started the journey when he didn't know because he believed God. Without knowing where, knowing the answers, and the Bible says it was accounted to him as righteousness. He came into right relationship with God, not through his moral behavior, 
Do we get that? Hello? It's not through your moral behavior. It's not being a good person that God accepts you. It's that you believe him. If you want to have faith, you must believe he exists. It seems so basic. It seems so, that's not much. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a lot easier to struggle to be good because it's measurable. You can do things And we want to do things to please God. And he says, just believe that I exist and believe that I'll reward you when you seek me. That's too easy. It's too hard. It's impossible to do without faith. Second thing he did, and this, again, it just struck me. He believed God that his wife could become pregnant when it was impossible physically. I'm not sure how that changed their lives daily. Like, I'm not sure what you did about that. Like, do you try harder to have a baby? I mean, you just like, you do what you do, but somehow he believed God rather than the physicality of what he saw before him. He believed God that something miraculous could happen. The third thing he did was he was willing to sacrifice his own son. That was the promise. And this is the thing that I don't know that I'd ever seen before. Verse 12 of Hebrews 11. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man, it's Abraham, and him as good as dead. He uses the word dead there. Him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That's metaphor. It's a a picture of that he couldn't conceive, pun intended. He couldn't conceive of all that God was going to do through an act of obedience. And neither can you. you. You can't. But in this obedience to God... He was as good as dead. So I've always wondered that story as Abraham and Isaac are going off on God's command to sacrifice his son. I've heard many sermons on whether Abraham knew God wasn't going to have him go through with the plan. You know, I don't know if you have or not, but like, what is that about? Because that does not fit in my theology. God gives a promised blessing son, now go kill him. Did he really mean it or did he not mean it? And somehow in this faith, Him who was as good as dead had a son. And so in this, verse 19, well, back up to give you some context in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises that he who was as good as dead had children, that was the promise he received, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So here he is, killing the promise. 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. How could he believe that? Because he who was as good as dead saw life come where it couldn't possibly have come. And so I think Abraham thought, it doesn't matter. I obey God. And if I go through with this, as barbaric as it sounds to us, 
I've already seen, I've walked faith and I've seen God raise someone from the dead. Me. And here we are. And God, you can do it again. You won't walk in faith unless you actually walk in faith. What does that mean? Like, Tim, of course that's true. We, we want to see God operate. Well, we've got to be willing at the first time when he says obey, we see life come out of death. And then when it comes again, we say, well, God, I know you've done it. The initial thing, the faith that we all need to have if we're going to come into life with God is that act of faith that something dead was brought back to life, but it wasn't us. Salvation comes for those who believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he was really dead and that he's really alive. If you believe that, if you believe that, then you believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what do we do with this? Let me close with this. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. All these people, dozens of people he's named, dozens of fallible, sinful people who believed God exists and that he rewarded those who sought him. And that they didn't all receive what was promised and many of them were waiting. They were all waiting for something better that God was providing through Jesus. And so he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people, do you know the power of being cheered on? Y'all have been in situations where, like, if you were an athlete, it is a powerful thing to have people cheering you on. It's like a drug. People live for it. You know, anybody who's done any entertainment, I've done some not big stuff, but enough theater and music stuff to know that people live to be on stage and hearing the cheers, whether it's in, in, in whatever venue. It is powerful. It is powerful to have one or two or three people. We used to do that as a, as a youth group when, I, when Nancy and I were youth leaders. One of the most popular things we ever did, you call them affirmation circles, where you put one person and you know, you, most of y'all have been a part of something like this, and everybody in the group goes around and says something they appreciate or like about that person. It is powerful. People hate it when it starts because they hate to be the center of attention. And, oh, don't, don't, don't. By the end, you can feel the power of witnesses cheering you on. Let me just tell you this. If you're trying to walk by faith, you have got Abraham and Moses, and Daniel, says you have a cloud of witnesses cheering you on, saying, go for it! Do it! I know you can't hear their voices and you can't see them with your eyes, but you've got to believe what the Bible says, that we are surrounded by these witnesses. Let us do three things. Let us lay aside every weight. I'm not a runner. I hate to run, but I can imagine running. And I can imagine how painful it would be to run with ankle weights on. That was a thing. Do you know, back in like 70s, you're supposed to wear ankle weights to strengthen you. That's like terrible. 
That's like anybody orthopedic will tell you. That's like the worst thing in the world to do. But somehow it was supposed to make you stronger if you ran with like 10 pounds on your ankles and tore your you know, stuff together. That was a thing. I know. Chris, Chris Claro, the, uh, the orthopedic guy, is going, what? That was a thing? It was a thing. It was like crazy. You know what it felt like when you got those things off, though? You felt like you could fly for about 10 seconds till your hips all were out of shape because you'd worn these crazy things on your ankles. But you strapped these things on and when you, because when you took them off, you felt so unencumbered. Can I just say that some of the reason that some of us here are not walking by faith is that we're completely encumbered with things of this world. That your phone or your desire to be liked in a social media world or your the things that fill your mind space, your desire for success or applause by the world, not by the saints, is, is encumbering you. Sometimes it's just flat-out sin. Sometimes you're, you're just involved. You know what it is. You're involved in some sin that is just encumbering you because that leads to the second. Not all weights are sin. Your phone isn't sin. Could be, but it's not. It's a, it's a tool. It's a mechanism, Right? It can be a weight. It can just distract you. Gaming isn't a sin, but it can be a distraction. So can almost anything else if you allow it to be. Second thing it says, besides the weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Sin is like a net that once you get into it, it's, it's almost impossible to cut yourself out of it. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need salvation. That's why we need God because we get entangled. Lay aside every weight. Throw off that which hinders, it says. And then what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Anybody running a race or whatever, it's, I tell you, it's so hard to keep going when you're tired. That's the reason I don't like to run or exercise because I get tired. I mean, it is. It just it is. I don't like to be tired. I don't like to be feel exhausted. But when I fix my eyes on the finish line, on that which is coming and the reward that's there, I forget about the pain long enough to finish. Guys, walking in faith will involve some pain. It will involve some difficulty. It will. I don't know what your difficulty is. For some of you, it will be physical pain. For some of you, it will be emotional pain. For some of you, it will be denying what you feel is your identity because the Bible says your identity is locked in Jesus Christ. For some of you, it will be in staying in a marriage or a relationship that, that is, is hard on you and is difficult. It will be loving someone in your office or in your school. It will be being different. Whatever it is, it will sometimes cost you something. And if you fix your eyes on Jesus, who lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died, because for him, he experienced all the fruit of faith. He saw the healings and he saw the greatness and he experienced the cross and being mocked and tortured. He experienced it all and walked in faith so that you and I have a model and a picture of what faith looks like. All this is done, we'll end with this in verse 3. All this is done as we consider him who endured 
from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We've talked about from the beginning, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were tired, spiritually tired. It's just hard to keep going. It's hard to give when you feel like you got nothing left. And he says, this is how we persevere because faith is a substance, it's a noun, it's a guarantee of what is now real help, an ever-present help in trouble, and the promise of what is to come, which is the complete fulfillment of what you can't see now but will become absolutely clear. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. 